Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special episode of the Advanced Art Podcast. This one is a little bit different because today we're focused on a new project that I've been working on behind the scenes called the Coin Chat. And basically, I partnered up with a friend of mine whose name is Steve Good, and he and I are going to be speaking about all things cryptocurrency. So we're inviting people from all over the cryptocurrency market to come in and chat about what's happening and what's going on in the blockchain in general. So it's focused on beginners as well as people who have extensive knowledge of what's going on. If you've ever been curious about what's happening with Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or any of the other coins that are coming out, most of which are a giant Ponzi scheme scam, this is definitely a podcast you should listen to. And in general, if you have questions about any of those, please reach out to me, Yuri at AdvanceYourArt.com. I'm going to be interviewing a few people about those topics on this podcast and possibly holding a webinar that introduces a lot of people to what's going on because it's an extremely exciting market. It's a great place to get involved in. And there's so much bad information out there that you need to know where to go and who to talk to so you don't get scammed. So that's definitely something that I'm working on behind the scenes and this new podcast is focused entirely on that. So it's called The Coin Chat. It will be out in the next few weeks. So please feel free to send me your questions or comments, yuri at advanceyourart.com. In the meantime, enjoy this introductory episode where I chat with Steve about why he's interested in this, what his background is, and what are some places people can go to find good information. This is The Coin Chat the most trusted voice for all things cryptocurrency. Each week, we dissect an important issue and cut through the noise and misinformation out there in the world of the blockchain, cryptocurrency, and ICOs to capture the facts that truly matter to you that will give you an edge in this fast-moving, emerging market. The who, what, where, when, and how of what you need to know in crypto to get ahead so you don't get left behind. Now, here's your host, Financial expert and CEO of Coinvestor.io, Steve Good. Hey everyone, this is Steve Good, and welcome to our next episode of the Coin Chat. Today, I'm joined by my good friend Yuri Cataldo, the crazy guy, as I call you sometimes, Yuri. <laughs> and today, we're just going to talk about me. <laughs> this is going to be the best episode <laughs> ever. Thank you, Steve, I for have having a feeling me. It is. You're, you're very welcome. I'm already scared to see what questions you're going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just really curious about you, so it should be pretty easy for you anyway, but we'll see. Indeed. I'm waiting. So what I'd like to start off with is because of the fact that you're a really busy guy and you've led a very interesting career, nowadays, let's say we're at a party, we meet at the bar, and I say, hi, Steve, my name is Yuri. What do you do? How do you describe yourself? How do you answer that question? I usually deflect the question. <laughs> because I like to be a, actually, to be honest, I like to be a bit of a private person. So I usually just tell people I'm an entrepreneur and I work in financial services technology. And I kind of leave it at that because I don't always know who I'm talking to and you don't know if they're probing for something. So I have a bit of a, of a privacy nature to me until I know people. And if the conversation turns into a bit of banter and fun, then you can just sort of joke around and say anything. I mean, sometimes at the bar, I've just said that I'm a brain surgeon just because it's something ridiculous and silly. 
it does get a conversation started. And sometimes I said I'm a professional magician and I'll do a magic trick. Oh, nice. Do you have a go-to magic trick that you do then? Um, well, I have a couple of different things. So one is that I've got some sort of um, uh, mind-reading tricks that I can do. I use like a little pendulum and I can, by using the pendulum, I can tell people if get them to hold the pendulum and I can tell them when they're lying and telling the truth. So I'll do like lie detection because mm-hmm. that's really quick and easy. And it is kind of weird that it works on everybody. So um, I'll have to do it to you one day, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see this. So that's one of the things I can do. Yeah, if I have a pendulum on me, I usually carry it around. And then sometimes you can do something. If I have a deck of cards on me, I've got a few tricks I like to play, like making the deck of cards turn blank and then turn back into a full deck again. And it's kind of just weird, and people sit there just wondering what the hell's going on, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So do you walk around with a deck of cards and a pendulum in your pocket at all times? Many times. Uh, in fact, in fact, one time I, if I have a puppy, and one one time recently I found my puppy with the deck of cards, and the cards were scattered all over the floor downstairs, oh. and I had to reorganize the deck to make sure it was still appropriate for my magic trick. So that was kind of interesting because they were mixed between normal and slobber. Yeah. But um, I don't always carry them with me, but I always have them on my desk, so I can grab them if I'm heading off someplace where there might be an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. But when I'm out with the wife and kids, I don't normally bother because it's it's you know usually a distraction and you don't want to set something down and lose it by accident. Yeah, that's true. Well, that definitely. If I met you at a bar and and you could tell whether or not I was telling the truth or not, I think I probably would be following you around the rest of the night, mesmerized. Yeah, and that's just creepy now. That's exactly why I like to be private. <laughs> That's true. I guess performing at random events when you're just there to meet people probably is not what you really want to do. No, but sometimes it's just for fun and you just keep people entertained a little bit and then you just leave. It's, but, you know, it's just, you know, I like to have fun rather than be boring. So if I can do something that kicks the atmosphere into a different light or lightens the mood, I think it's always better than taking the serious line with people because nobody wants to go out and be in, in a serious state all the time. Sometimes people just want to have a, a chance to just unwind and relax. And when it's the unexpected that happens, that's what makes life more interesting is unexpected events that lead to positive outcomes. Of course. I'm fascinated by your journey. So if you don't mind, I'd like to start from the beginning because you have a number of different degrees and interests that you've done over the years. So what originally made you want to study psychology in undergrad? (laughs) I didn't want to study psychology in undergrad, actually. (laughs) You know, when I studied at university in the in the early or mid '80s, the the degrees that were out there were actually quite limited. I actually really wanted to do something with computers and something in financial services, which is where I've ended up really now. But back then, there was very limited uh, amount of scope in terms of what you could study, unless you went to some sort of a smaller university where they might have some more, more kind of innovative programs that they were running. But you know, for at the time, there wasn't much around. So your choices were really kind of psychology, engineering, history, poli-sci, none of which really particularly interested me whatsoever. I actually took the view of, let me just get the uni, the uni degree and, uh, and just get out and just get it over with because I really wanted to get on to other things that interested me. And what was available at the time was a business emphasis, not even a minor. So I just went with what I could get. Psychology actually was interesting from the standpoint of learning about people and human nature, but actually most of what I was studying was theoretical and actually really not very interesting. It's later in life that I've actually discovered so many other things about human nature and how people communicate and 
things like neurolinguistic programming and just, just so many other things that have been discovered since that, you know, maybe I would be interested in, in that kind of study if it had been available then. But at the time, it was really just get the degree and then really go and, and, and study and learn the things I wanted to learn and study after university. After you graduated from undergrad, what did you do then? And then why did you decide to go for your MBA a few years later? I picked up and I went traveling around Europe, actually, uh, wow. for six months. And I started off in Paris uh, and spent the summer there for a couple of months. Really got more submerged in French culture and language and did some courses in French whilst I was also doing a, a bit of a like a, a traineeship, just for fun. And then I just traveled and headed south to Greece and to south of France and Italy and then made my way around to Turkey and up through the eastern bloc of countries like Bulgaria, Romania, Czech Republic, through Germany and headed up to Scandinavia. I just wanted to just have an opportunity to travel around and explore and see things. And, you know, after doing that, I kind of thought, well, this is great and it's fun and everything, but I probably need to, to have some grounding in reality as well. So I, I, I did it as a, let me do this before I go back and, and study again. And, uh, and then I decided it might be a good idea to, you know, if, I'm, if I want to keep traveling, I'm gonna, I, I, what was obvious is I'm going to need money if I want to travel. <laughs> so can't do everything on a shoestring for my whole life. Right. So... Um, you know, you don't always want to be in youth hostels, that's for sure, because they're, they're not always the cleanest and most pleasant of places to stay. So it gave me, let's say, some inspiration that I should probably do something more concrete. So I decided that doing an MBA in Europe might be a good thing mm -hmm. because it widens and opens up your perspective on, on culture, language, and people, and different perspectives. And just doing it outside of your where, where you're born also gives you an opportunity to learn about other people and other places. So... I applied to a program that was a, a British university that had a satellite office in the, in the Netherlands and ended up with a, uh, such an interesting mix of people from, uh, from all over the world, from Indonesia, South America, all parts of Europe, such an interesting crowd of people. Uh, some of these people are still friends today you know, with really interesting perspectives, um, but just such an array of, of personalities and really interesting ways of looking at the world. And everyone had different perspectives, which was really interesting. Um, I remember one time one of our, our marketing guys, he was giving us an example of how to market beer. And he showed us two examples of beer. This is great, right? So <laughs> one, one of the glasses of beer was completely full. And immediately people in the room said, oh, but this is wrong. You can't have it like this. And some of us were saying, well, of course it has to be full. Why would you sell a, a beer that's not full? Mm -hmm. And the Dutch guys were very quick to point out that if there's no froth at the top of the glass, you have to have two fingers of froth, then it's not a good beer. Ah. So that was a very interesting perspective on just how marketing works and the importance of understanding different people's perspectives or context in, in how you build a business. Mm -hmm. Another great example, actually, that was actually really interesting was you might remember back to the 70s when there was a, the Chevy Nova. Mm -hmm. Uh, was one of the top-selling cars in the U.S., but was one of the worst disasters in South America and Mexico. And uh, for those who speak Spanish, they'll understand very quickly that no va means does not go. Um, so, when, so when they tried selling the cars in Mexico, it was a complete flop because nobody, they, took it, they just took it as a joke. I mean, why would you buy a car that doesn't drive? And given the lack of context around language, they decided, well, you know, now that we've got the supernova, 
And that one's selling even better in the States. Surely that'll do great in Mexico. And of course, super does not go, really didn't go very far. It was even worse, worse than the sales side of things. Mm-hmm. So just these types of examples of, you know, what you experience in an international MBA, I thought was invaluable because you wouldn't get that in a, you know, in an MBA where you're amongst people where everyone speaks the same language and you're not focused on the cross-cultural boundaries of how marketing and sales and, and business works. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Your career eventually leads into finance. How did you take what you learned in your MBA and then eventually get into the finance world? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I guess sometimes you just follow follow a certain pattern of you know having an idea where you want to go. I mean, I guess for me, there's also this, this sort of my background being that I always, first of all, I always liked math. It was always uh, one of my strong suits in, in university, in school, high school, uh, elementary school. That was always my strong suit. And I was also coming from a background of music and studying voice. And I suppose there's always that sort of you know, natural linkage that you have between music and, and numbers. So I studied with, um, with some people that had been in Broadway that were training me. And so it was always within music, it was always about rhythm and, and beat and, and precision. And I suppose that was an element that kind of connected me to finance as well, but never from the accounting perspective. It was more interested in business, business transactions, uh, trading, which is what I did personally, finance in terms of what went on in the financial world. And I guess after, after my MBA and I was working in, in software, I just gravitated more toward the financial services clients in terms of whatever software we were selling or, or or whatever services we were providing. Mm-hmm. And I always aimed after that particular space and sort of, you know, build your contacts, build my relationships, build my network, and just kept building it in that particular arena. And it just kind of blossomed and flourished over time. It wasn't something that just came quickly. Uh, it had its ups and downs like any career would do. But, you know, eventually I just ended up really, you know, fully immersed in the finance space. But, you know, not like an accountant, but more like from a business context, understanding transactional or business-related uh, problems and understanding how to solve them from a, from an IT services perspective. Mm-hmm. Cryptocurrency is a fairly new thing that's happened in the last few years. How did you first get interested and involved in cryptocurrency, and what made you really want to jump in and explore what's going on in that space? So that's, that's really a weird... Uh, I have a really weird story about this. <laughs> I would... Uh, I was uh, working with a, a marketing coach in London when I was launching my, my first financial services company. And my business partner and I had come from very, very different backgrounds. He came from a very consultancy delivery type of background without any kind of the sales perspective. I came at it from a very sales perspective, but lacked the sometimes lacked some of the the context around what needs to be done because I hadn't done it for a while myself. I used to be a consultant, but after years of being in sales, I'd forgotten some of it. Mm-hmm. So he and I came at things from a very different perspective. We found this really interesting marketing coach. And I just remember one day we're, we're sitting in the office, we're waiting for him to come in and start doing some coaching sessions with us. And he just, and he's just the most quirky, funny character, this guy called Barnaby. He's just such a funny guy. Mm-hmm. I'll mention Barnaby Winter. He's just brilliant. So if anybody ever wants to look him up in London, he's amazing. Anyway, so Barnaby comes running into the room and says, guys, guys, I've got this amazing catalog. You've got to check this out. And the catalog and says, you can buy anything and you can do it for free. 
And we were like, what, what do you mean? Well, you, you basically just, you know, trade services through Bitcoin. And we're looking at him like, well, we know he's mad and he's crazy and he's visionary, but maybe this has gone too far. I mean, we really don't know what he's talking about. And this was back in, I think it was 2011 or 2012. I think it was 2011. Okay. And I, I'm just looking at him thinking, he's just a mad scientist now. I have no idea what he's talking about. And, and then I just kind of parked it and forgot about it. And I just, you know, what was the Bitcoin thing he was talking about? If only I had listened to him then. He's probably very, very wealthy guy now. Uh, I don't know. But I didn't, I didn't really explore Bitcoin again until 2013, I think it was, or 2014, where I went to an event in San Francisco where it was um, run by a guy called Neil Strauss, who runs a group called The Society, of which I was a member and, and they, there's um, one of the events we were having was a, it was a weekend event, discovering the future mm-hmm. and talking about everything about where the future will be and where it takes us. And it was a, a fascinating experience on, on a whole lot of different levels about exposing us to things we were never thinking about, about where the future might be. And one of the topics was, again, on Bitcoin and around ICOs and cryptocurrency and where it might take us. But again, it was still too early but God, if I had bought just one Bitcoin there, then I probably wouldn't be sitting here now. So maybe it's a good thing. Maybe. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe. But um, but needless to say, so I got I got very interested in it, but I just parked it for another two years or so before I finally said I need to start investigating this more because surely there must be something in this, and it starts getting interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's when I sort of opened up the kimono in December of 2016. And started just investigating and realizing how rudimentary everything was that was out there. There were um, very poor websites, very hard to get information, uh, uh, scattering of YouTube videos, but all just sort of guessing their way through, nothing really professionalized. And it made me realize there must be such a huge opportunity in this space if so much of what's been done has been done by techies, but not from the perspective of a user, user engagement, not from, from the perspective of business solving business problems, and I just thought, I'm going to monitor this and watch this for a while and see where it goes, and that's kind of led to where I am now, which is launching something in crypto mm-hmm. and advising companies in crypto. I want to give you some some props because, and I thank you, I have not been following crypto and Bitcoin as long as you have. I dabbled in it very briefly back in 2014 when I had a bottled water company, and I use it as a marketing gimmick because I had read about what was happening in the space and I thought I will be the first bottled water company to accept Bitcoin and I was and I launched that idea and then of course nobody cared but because of that I did a bunch of research and then forgot about it and because of then being on similar chat groups with you I've learned so much more in the last few months and have actually then started trading in it and learning a lot about what's happening in the cryptocurrency market so I want to thank you for that. But with all of the things that you're learning, what are some sayings or quotes or just ideas that you see out there about crypto and what's happening that are just complete bullshit? Well, I think the the most prevalent one that I come across a lot is Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme. And, uh, you know, I thought that I think that the, the, the traditional way of looking at Ponzi schemes is based on a pyramid of 
person who's been in longer kind of brings in people behind them who then bring people in behind them Mm -hmm. and they keep kind of passing things down from person to person, which is absolutely not the way Bitcoin works at all. Now I've seen another argument running recently that says it's a Ponzi scheme because we don't actually know who's behind the transactions. And I kind of find that ironic because we've learned over time to trust banks. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, what was, it, what was it like 100 years ago or 80 years ago when the first banks were forming and they said, you can trust us to put your money here. We'll hold on to it for you. I mean, like how would that be any different from, from trusting that there's a decentralized network of computers that are doing exactly the same job more efficiently than asking human beings to do it for us? Mm-hmm. So um, it kind of irritates me at times because it just shows a lack of understanding of how the whole thing works. And rather than taking the time to understand it and investigate it and get to a level of understanding where you can communicate and and clearly articulate what's happening, people spend spend more time just saying it's a Ponzi scheme because they don't understand it and therefore it's just rubbish. Mm -hmm. And that just makes me sad because it just shows a lack of interest or possibly an amount of fear of change. And that wouldn't necessarily be surprising since we see people, you know, like banks, either for or against. Yeah, I was going to throw that in there. The people who seem to be the most critical of it are those higher up in the banking world. So like Jamie Dimon's and a few other people. Warren Buffett, right? right. I mean, you know, what, what does Warren Buffett stand to gain by supporting Bitcoin? And what does he stand to lose by supporting Bitcoin? And clearly, a guy who has billions does not want to see the money flood out and move to digital currency. He wants to keep everything status quo because it is what it's been and it's why, why change it. And people like Jamie Dimon, well, you know, there's a lot of debates about what's going on with JPM and why they're so publicly against it. Mm-hmm. And yet he publicly says his daughter is trading in Bitcoin at the same time. So. I find it a little bit ironic that if you're the CEO of a bank, why would you tell everybody that your, your daughter's playing around with Bitcoin and making so much money? Um, really hard to uh, understand the, the logic there. And yet JP Morgan is one of the founding parties involved with the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, which is yet another coin that provides smart contracts and methods for um, settling transactions between parties. So, you know, either he's for digital currency and against Bitcoin, or he's just creating controversy, perhaps even to drop the price down to manipulate the price so that he can buy it privately. Who knows? It's very interesting to watch what is happening with the banking industry just because some people are so much against it and for it at the same time that you're right. It it often questions what their motives are, what they're really trying to do. So I think it's absolutely fascinating. Goldman Sachs said they were going to start allowing some form of Bitcoin transactions to take place on their brokerage platform, but for, you know, a limited amount of trading, but still something. Mm-hmm. CME has said they're going to start launching um, some form of futures trading, and yet you have other banks like DBS, their CIO, claiming that it's a fraud and it's, you know, a Ponzi scheme, and JP Morgan's CEO says the same thing, and Warren Buffett says the same thing. So you've got lots of fours and lots of against out there in general. There's Tom Lee, who runs a hedge fund, who's also been very pro-Bitcoin and actually been able to demonstrate why it's going up and the relationship between Bitcoin and other algorithms. So there's a whole variety of people, all with different perspectives, 
but I think a lot of them are just trying to get their head around and understand the shift that's taking place from the traditional currencies into the digital ones and understanding where their place is in within all of this. Mm -hmm. With all of that information that's out there and you have all these you know heads of banks who are speaking against Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, where do you go to get your information and where should other people go just to verify things just because there's so much misinformation out there? Yeah, that's really true. I mean, the most interesting thing that I see is there's a lot of uh, groups out there that will either try to drive misinformation on Telegram chats or even people that are just malicious, malicious in nature and posting strange things on Reddit or Bitcoin chat. So the difficulty is trying to sift through the reality between the chat rooms where things are being posted. Um, the flip side is I find that channels like CNBC or Business Insider have good coverage that are providing well-balanced information, uh, articles, interviews, trying to just break it down and figure out what's happening. I don't see that their articles are for or against. I find them balanced. Mm -hmm. So I'm tending to err on the side of looking more at mainstream news channels rather than, um, than coin news channels. Although there are some good coin channels out there like uh, websites like Cointelegraph, for example, which provides news and coverage on coins. And they're a, uh, a media outlet similar to the mainstream ones, but they're very focused on coin. And they're reputable. There's a few others like that out there. So you, you kind of have to take a, a balanced view when you look at you know, Telegram or other chat lines, chat groups. Of course, we have our own Telegram group as well, which is called Coinvestors which people are welcome to come to, which I chair along with several other people. And it's a growing community where people can just jump in and chat about anything crypto. And we try to make it a, a nice balanced environment to help people ask questions and just learn and get the facts on how to get started. Mm -hmm. And there's a few other groups like that out there as well. So let's, let's dive into Coinvestors a little bit since you just mentioned them. Why did you start your very own you know, brokerage trading platform? Well, after spending a year looking around at what was out there, you know, and as you asked about a minute ago, where do you find information? Mm -hmm. the, the biggest gap in the market is trying to understand what coins to invest in as an investment vehicle. What should I buy? What should I not buy? Are these good coins or bad coins? Oh, what is a coin? Oh, it's a company or it's a platform or it's just currency? Oh, okay. I didn't even realize the coins actually represent different things and that the coins themselves actually can be aligned to a number of industry sectors and are actually companies that are disruptive. So the way I, I started realizing was that, first and foremost, having a place where people can gather information and be able to understand what's going on and where to invest, what not to invest in, just to help people figure it out, felt like a really good place as a starting point. But then kind of as you progress through the journey, you realize that the trading platforms themselves that are out there are a little bit misaligned because they're exchanges. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think of traditional trading, you don't go on the FTSE or the NASDAQ and buy your shares. You go through a broker to buy or sell your shares. And what became evident to me was that that layer that allows people a place to buy and sell, get access to information, and have a much more user-friendly interface where all elements missing and why not just bring them all together into one place? 
So I sometimes joke and say we're like the E-Trade meets Motley Fool meets CNBC meets Morningstar. And, you know, we made a partnering with some of these vendors as well along the way mm -hmm. because we want to make it the most robust platform possible that's for the general user to get started rather than for the techies to get started. We really wanted to build this to help people to figure out how to get started, make it easy to get started, and make it easy to visualize what they've got in their investment portfolio and how should they reallocate funds to be more smart about the way they're investing. Mm -hmm. I think this is going to be amazing. I So from my own just personal experience, I've, I've used Bittrex and I've used Coinbase, and it took me, I think, an hour and a half through YouTube videos to figure out how to transfer money into Bittrex and how to actually use it because I'm not the most technically savvy person. And so that was kind of annoying. Also, once I moved it in, I had no idea like how much I was buying things or what prices in the beginning and then what to do with it. It was just not really user-friendly. And then so I discovered Coinbase, and I start trading in that one, except they have, they have a lot of fees. They suddenly don't let you like bid at what level you actually want to buy your Ethereum or the Bitcoin at. They just kind of tell you what you're buying it at. So it's like a you know the right. open market type of um, experience as opposed to like yeah they're not they're not exposing the buy and sell side they're just yes. giving you an average price but then when you go to buy and sell they're telling you it at the moment you're doing it and it creates confusion it and you're right high fees <laughs> and they force you to go back and forth to euro dollar pound rather than letting you stay in crypto and that also isn't necessarily what people want to do because once they're in crypto they might want to use the Bitcoin or Ethereum to then buy mm -hmm. something else. And, that, and therein lies the problem with the exchanges, because within an exchange, you have three markets. So you, you use the example of Bittrex, and you'll find this on many of the platforms. I have coins that I bought with both Bitcoin and Ethereum, and my biggest problem is, what is my P&L? What's my profit and loss? How much have I gained or lost across all of the coins, regardless of what market, meaning which coin I used to buy the coin that I bought? Mm -hmm. In other words... If I bought a coin uh, X and I bought some of it with Bitcoin and some of it with Ethereum, I have two completely different pricing mechanisms that are driving the coin that I have. And that coin that I have, I want to know, is it up or down overall? I don't care about each individual position. I want to know overall the whole thing. And that's what we're building is a mechanism to solve that, to make it really easy for people to see exactly where they stand across their entire portfolio. When you're making this platform, what are some of the other key elements that you want to include that will make everyone's life just a little bit easier? You know, it's really a, it's a great question. So one of the things that I learned a lot of, especially working at Infosys, was the value and the importance of visualization of data. It's such a huge topic now within the whole business context around how do you enable your clients to understand what's happening. And I think the biggest challenge is that most stuff out there is not visual. It's, it's text, it's tables, it's little pieces of information here and there. And the entire focus of where we're trying to go is to visualize everything, to make it easy for people to see where they are, not just to read where they are. And that kind of goes back to some of the more basic principles about human nature that you know, 70% of humans are actually visual in nature when it comes to learning, and about 20% are auditory, and reading and auditory are somewhat linked, and the other 10% are emotional or kinesthetic. 
Uh, and that's something I've learned from a, from a guy called Mike Mendel, who's, a, as I mentioned earlier, about neuro-linguistic programming, and, and he does a lot of hypnosis. He's a brilliant guy, and I did some studies with him. And, you know, when you realize that people learn and understand from a visual context or experience, then you realize that if you start from that perspective, it makes it easier for people to engage. So everything we do is focused around making sure it's easy to understand, that the user experience is easy, that representation of what you have in terms of assets shouldn't be just a list, but it should be a visual presentation of, I have a pie chart that says how much of each coin I have by percentage, or I have X percentage of coins that are in finance and and X percentage that are in advertising or media, which has never been done before. Mm -hmm. So the entire philosophy and the ethos is help people visualize and understand what they've got. As you describe this, this seems like a no-brainer. But this already exists in the, the traditional finance world. I have an E-Trade account and I have a Charles Schwab account and they do this for me. How come no one has done this yet in the cryptocurrency space? I think because, you know, as I said, if I look back even just a year ago or just under a year ago, so, you know, we're coming up on December 2017, and I started looking at 2016, December, around, you know, all of this. And as I said, the, the, everything in technology always starts with techies that do a bottom-up approach to just building things. And the business context for everything that we've seen from the Internet to usages of mobile phones, you know, if you think back to the original phone, it was WAP. It was a terrible little texty-based interface on a mobile phone. And now it's turned into touch, Right. You just said the you phone have a was whack. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was really awful with little text, and you could just sort of fire little messages off and get little responses back. And that's kind of like where crypto is. It started there, and then it moved. Now it's progressively moving into visual experiences and usability. So, um, just seeing the gaps and recognizing that, you know, as I say, the biggest gap that we're building and fulfilling right now is defining. In a, in a very concrete way, what every single coin is and what it does and what its value is and providing ratings around the coins or reviews and recommendations, but also what industry and what sector those coins align to. And that information hasn't been gathered because this, the rate and speed in which companies have been launching and moving into crypto has probably been faster than anyone anticipated, especially in the last, you know, year. 2017 has been a crazy year for that. So, with that speed of companies launching, I don't think people were really looking at how do I categorize all of this. I see little bits and pieces of it on Wikipedia and other websites where people have tried to use bots to gather it, but that doesn't help the individual investor or the individual buyers to know what they've got and to be able to make better intelligent decisions around it. So I think it's just something that is going to happen more and more over time, but maybe I'm just the first one to start doing it uh, or maybe there's someone else doing it and hasn't bothered to be public about it yet. But there's more than there's more than enough space for two or three companies to do this because it's what people want. It's what they need. Mm-hmm. Well, I personally think it's amazing, and I've been watching it, luckily, behind the scenes and where it's evolving, and I'm so excited for this, everything to get launched and to keep going. And, of course, with this, I have so many more questions for you, but that's what the whole point of this long conversation is because I know you're going to be dripping them out surely and surely to keep everybody informed on what's going on in all things crypto. I'd like to jump into a few quick questions just about you, if that's all right. Okay. Yeah, of course. Go for it. Perfect. Okay. So just whatever comes to mind, top of the mind, let's jump in. 
What is the okay. most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so the most interesting thing that I read this week was was really interesting. It was about MasterCard, and I'll, I'll tell you why it was interesting. About a week and a half or two weeks ago, MasterCard had said that they're going to stop allowing crypto-based cards to work outside of Europe. And that I thought was rather interesting that they said they're not going to allow the transactions to work anymore, that if you have a card and you travel to the States or other parts of the world, it won't work. It'll only work in Europe. I don't know why just in Europe it would work, but that's what they announced. That, that's then followed by uh, the news that came out, which said, oh, by the way, MasterCard, we're going to launch our own cryptocurrency blockchain-based environment for transactions, and we're going to try all that out. They didn't give any more detail than it, but it was interesting that they've gone from one extreme of saying, we're not going to allow cryptocurrency-based credit cards that are MasterCard to work, to then flip over and say, but we're launching our own one. <laughs> That's called cornering the market or being threatened or looking for an opportunity. I don't know. Right. But I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, that is You can read between the lines of, you know, yeah. who knows what's going on there. Well, again, it's it's the same thing what the banks are doing. They they denounce it in one hand and then embrace it with the other. Of course, because they have to put people off while they go off and build something and keep people quiet. Mm -hmm. It's a distraction technique. <laughs> All right, so you've spent a lot of time in London. What are some things that sound like compliments but are actually insults? Not to be rude, but... <laughs> Did you hear that a lot when you were in England? Well, it's, um, the Brits have a very sort of funny way, I mean, very different from American language about communicating. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of no, uh, no disrespect, but, or not to be rude, but, and you always know that the next thing that's coming is after the word but. Yep. So I, I, I've become more fine-tuned to that kind of language. So I think those are two really good examples that um, I've, I've, I've heard, not necessarily directed at me, but I've certainly heard, the, heard them in, in various boardrooms where people say things like that with no disrespect, but... <laughs> Yeah, well, okay. I love that. that <laughs> no disrespect, but, and you're like, oh, yeah, whatever you say next is actually going to be a giant insult. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Anything that follows the word but is where the real sentence comes in anyway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is the best and worst purchase you've ever made? The best and worst purchase. Wow. Okay. The best purchase I've ever made has got to be... My steam cleaner. Um, Go on. Yeah, the steam cleaner. Right, so the steam cleaner. So it's, I tell you honestly, steam cleaners are great because you can steam the floors. Uh, I've got little kids and they, you know, they mark the walls. You can steam the walls. It makes the walls look like they've just been painted. Um, you can also use them for pressing your shirts, which is fantastic because then they come out even more pressed than you would if, if you'd use a, an iron. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the greatest thing about that purchase is I've never had to use it. <laughs> so you have a, a magical one that, that does this all by itself? Yes, I just put the coins in and it just picks up and starts going around the house and doing all the things it needs to do. And I come out of the office or I come out of my podcast recording and look around and magically the walls are all clean and my shirts are all pressed and I haven't done a thing. <laughs> Now, is there a particular brand of steamer that you prefer? Uh, I think it's a Dyson, if I recall correctly. Okay. Well, that makes sense. They make really good products. Yeah, we have a Dyson vacuum cleaner as well, which, by the way, I also don't use, but it's very good for cleaning all sorts of things as well. But 
That would be my second best purchase, I guess, because they're all automated processes and I don't have to do them directly, which sounds awful because occasionally I do use them, to be fair, but, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you asked about my worst purchase, and I, I've got a great answer for you. Yeah, my worst purchase was, was uh, it's a, it's a catastrophe. I, before, got it, before starting off this crypto business, I had launched for about a year, I was running a, a virtual reality news website just covering all the different things happening in, in the world of virtual reality because I thought it would be a much more topical, interesting topic mm -hmm. and would be much more mainstream than it became, which is okay. It was fine. And off the back of that, realizing there were so many cool innovations happening around sound, audio, and visual experiences, I was starting to dabble with the idea of actually having some sort of an online virtual reality store. Mm -hmm. So I went off to some manufacturers and decided to try it out and was going to put some goggles for sale up on Amazon. I guess you can see where this is heading. Mm -hmm. And I had 200 goggles made, half of which were with headphones built in, half of which were without. They're similar to like the Samsung gears where you put your phone inside and you can use them. Okay. And they work great. But whilst mine were being made, the market got flooded with Chinese ones on the Amazon and on other websites. Oh, no. And for less money than, than mine. So the bad news is I've got 180 <laughs> goggles sitting in a warehouse dying for a home. And the good news is if anybody wants one, I will give them away for free. All they need to do is pay for shipping, and I will sort them out. And I would love to get rid of all 180 pairs of goggles at no cost other than the shipping. That's awesome. So if somebody listening to this wants a pair, how should they contact you? They can ping me on LinkedIn. They can find me on Telegram, on the Coinvestors channel, uh, or at Steve Good, CEO, on Telegram or Twitter, and we will most happily sort them out. That's awesome. Hopefully everybody listening to this gets a free set of headphones and uh, VR goggles because it sounds pretty amazing. They're not bad. I mean, I, I they, they're good. It's just unfortunate that I have 180 more than I need for myself. I was hoping you'd sell a little more than, eh, they're good. <laughs> no, they're, I mean, listen, you know, thing, thing, they're, they're good. They are very good goggles. They are very comfortable and they, they, uh, they work really well. And there's lots and lots of junky, crappy ones that fall apart quickly. These are solid, good plastic materials. Uh, the, the headphone built-in ones have good headphones. And we made sure that they were designed in such a way that you could use them for a while. But uh, as I said, unfortunately, there were lots and lots of other ones that came out that were very similar in design. And I'll give I'll give credit to the credit I'll give credit where credit's due. The Chinese are brilliant when it comes to manufacturing of technology like this. Yes, they are. Absolutely amazing. All right, I've got one last question, and then I'll let you go. If you were right. given a one-minute ad slot at the Super Bowl and you couldn't sell it, what would you fill it with? I would fill it with gorillas. You fill it with gorillas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll elaborate. I'll fill it with gorillas. Well, listen, I, I, I mean, I'm not just a, you know, just a business guy. I have charitable or, or nature interests as well. And my probably my biggest passion around nature is around preservation of nature and the planet. And I went on a trip to Rwanda and Uganda. Uh, some years ago, I think it was in 2010, and it was probably the most amazing, magical journey and experience on a spiritual human level 
of anything I've ever done. Because trekking in to see the gorillas and being there with these big, monstrous animals that are, by the way, the most gentle, uh, majestic animals you'll ever find. Mm -hmm. And just being there and talking to the rangers and finding out the plight of the gorillas and how hard their job is to protect them from poachers was so eye-opening for me. And also being in a place for, like Rwanda, which had been through you know, quite a, a horrible civil war and have now recovered from that. And now the people are very, very kind, gentle people just wanting the best for their country and realizing that they're also struggling with some of the protections of nature and the lack of governance that you have in other countries to protect things. And the gorillas are an endangered species, but they're such wonderful, beautiful animals that I guess deep down what I'd want to do is just put out a one-minute spot on how to save the gorillas, make people aware of what they're unaware of, is that you know Rwanda is a very safe place. Uganda is a very lovely country. Um, the gorillas are straddling on the borders of Rwanda, Uganda, and the, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, and they are in need of protection, and they are lovely, wonderful animals, and they are amazing to be, you know, five feet from, and standing there, and they're looking at you, and you're looking at them, and they just, they just get on with their lives. While you're there, they spend an hour with you, and they always have a, an internal clock and leave, hmm. and it's an amazing experience just to be with them, so... I'd want to do a one-minute a one spot to make people aware of something we could do that's good for the planet and good for nature and something that's positive. Well, that's wonderful. That's uh, it sounds like you've got a very good mix of you know business mind and philanthropic mind. So that sounds amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, for spending some time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. It was great, Yuri. Thank you for taking the time to uh, have this chat and throw all sorts of crazy questions at me. I'm going to have to reflect now and make sure that... Uh, I do spend more time with my steam cleaner as well. <laughs> as well as you should. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you again. Uh, what can the listeners expect for the next episode of the Coin Chat? That's a great question. I think that next week we'll be talking a little bit about ICOs, uh, initial coin offerings, or what is it, uh, how to get involved, how to spot a good ICO, just an overview to give people a sense of what's going on in the world of fundraising, and uh, crowdfunding of cryptocurrency companies. Wonderful. I know I, for one, am really excited about that episode. Great. Well, I will uh, make sure you tuned in and get some feedback from you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Yuri. It's been great. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the moon. And until next time. Thank you for joining us today on The Coin Chat. Join me, Steve Good, on Telegram on t.me forward slash coinvestors, where we discuss a range of topics on cryptocurrency. And visit us at coinvestors.io forward slash the coin chat for show notes and additional content. Don't forget to like and subscribe to us. And in the meantime, be safe, have fun, and see you next week for more on the coin chat. <laughs>